If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Enrico Signoretti's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com. They're about data storage and cloud computing, addressing all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Welcome everybody, this is Voices in Data Storage brought to you by Gigaon. I'm your host, Enrico Signoretti, and my guest for this episode is Zachary Smith. Zachary is a co-founder and CEO of Packet, an innovative and somehow alternative cloud service provider headquartered in New York. On his LinkedIn profile, you can read that Zachary is a serial entrepreneur and innovator. In fact, he started a low mowing business with his brother at 10 <laughs> and later he moved to IT. He has been focused on building highly automated uh, infrastructure platform for more than 15 years and in 2014 Zach co-founded Packet. Packet is cloud service provider focused on providing bare metal resource quickly and efficiently leaving to its customer all freedom of choice on what to run on it and maybe we will come to this later. Today, we will talk about two topics that are somehow interlaced to each other. The first is what I mistakenly called uh, a federation of clouds in my last meeting with him. And then uh, we will touch uh, on infrastructure composability, a topic for which I'm doing a research for a report I'm writing for Gigaon. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Enrico. It's so nice to meet you. Uh, th thank you for taking the time to, to record this uh, episode. Let's start with the basics. I gave a, a very brief description of Packet, but maybe you want to give us a, a little more of background about its roots and your vision. Oh, certainly. I'd love to. Well, you're right. I did start first and foremost in the lawn mowing business. That was in Southern California when I was about eight years old. Uh, things have advanced a little bit more than that. Um, I kind of took a segue through um, a career in music. I went to the Juilliard School to st study double bass. Um, and it turns out that my true love was actually with computers. So um, at the age of 20, I joined a small infrastructure startup back in, I guess it was 2000 or 2001, that focused on providing high scalability Linux-based hosting solutions. Um, that was an early, early time in the cloud. I think it was called ASP at the time, or maybe it was just turning into dedicated hosting. Um, but we went through this incredible change where the original hackers of the internet went from IT users to developers. And so it got to kind of have a first-hand seat at, at the DevOps evolution or revolution um, and uh, sold that business back in 2011. It taught me a lot. I learned a lot and I literally grew up kind of in the, in the age of the cloud. Uh, back in 2014, we started Packet um, for a few different reasons. The kind of idea and goal was that the user of infrastructure in the future was almost exclusively a software developer and we needed to make a highly automated platform that allowed them to develop software on the whole stack. We had seen other alternatives, kind of what would be the leading public clouds today that were very focused on providing infrastructure, but with a high amount of opinion in the software. And we said, could we provide an experience equal to or better around highly automated infrastructure, but without the opinion and uh, kind of abstraction layers of software? Um, so we did that. We started in 2014, started hacking on how we could provide this service and, and really kind of questioned did the market want or need a automated bare metal provider? 
Um, I think the answer to that was yes, the cloud native movement, whether it was through Docker with Solomon or CoreOS with Alex Polvey and all the work that had been done um, around a highly portable workload. Now you see that through Kubernetes and you know all kinds of different uh, portable schedulers um, really just accelerated our business. And we arrived on the scene kind of, let's put it at the right time where we were providing very fundamental infrastructure with strong APIs to a world that was highly empowered with software. Okay, so bare metal cloud is the right term to define what you do today, right? And uh, as a step forward in the realization of your vision, you are now promoting a new approach to the cloud, a sort of a federated multi-cloud, or put it in a very simplistic way, I mean. And sure. but maybe you can um, develop a, a little bit on this uh, and uh, let our listeners know more about uh, this uh, vision. Absolutely. I mean, one of the major benefits of kind of the hyperscale clouds today is the breadth of services. You have a whole suite of integrated software and infrastructure-based services um, that generally tie together very well, whether it's through authentication or you know, uh, uh, kind of aligned legal terms or, you know, things that happen around billing. And what we see is a world where we have highly opinionated software stacks that are coming and evolving. I'm going to call that best of breed software, whether that's through proprietary um, software arms dealers or through open source. And you have this scenario where you have a whole collection of you know, um, how do I say, leading SaaS providers who are doing certain things like object storage or data analytics or machine learning. And then you have infrastructure providers like ourselves who provide best of breed compute resources, access to storage without, you know, abstraction, pretty much disks on demand, uh, network services, et cetera. The problem is, is that for customers, it's quite complex to deal with best of breed vendors. If you have three or four or five different vendors that you would buy equipment from and put it in your data center, at least you're kind of working under a standard operating procedure, which is you're putting them in your data center. But when you start to buy and consume services, whether those are SaaS services, PaaS platforms, or infrastructure services via cloud, suddenly you're relying upon the provider to be your operator. And this is where the ongoing contractual billing, you know, um, you know, compliance things become really complicated. So what we're trying to do now is say, could we create a new age of cloud alliance? How could we build something where we could align and make it easier for enterprise customers to buy and consume diverse best of breed services from multiple cloud providers, um, but have the consistency and uh, uh, kind of safety that they're, they're expecting out of aligned business terms. So that's what we're starting with. Um, we'd love to dive into details and where we think the most important ones are to begin or some good analogies, but you know, we really feel that as infrastructure and cloud becomes an integral part in enterprise, um, that these issues are gonna bubble to the top. Yeah, and you and others, some of your partners, already started to cut transfer rate, for example, and make services more accessible from within your respective infrastructure, right? Exactly. Yeah, a couple years ago, we started what was called the Bandwidth Alliance. That was the original idea, was why should we charge people for moving data between, say, CDNs and their origin providers like Packet or, or whatnot? Um, and it moved beyond that and said, how, how, why would we want to charge them to move their data between two different clouds that are sitting literally across Connect away? 
And yet that's one of the biggest barriers right now to using kind of best of breed services right now is the transfer charges and penalty and tax that people pay for moving their data around. And so we started this bandwidth alliance and what it was was could we zero rate um, very similar to the early days of the internet where we were doing peering agreements where we would interconnect with different networks between say content networks and eyeball networks and say, as long as we're interconnected over our routers and we don't have to pay to reach each other, we're not gonna charge our customers. We're gonna zero rate that. And so we wanted to extend that to the cloud. And so we said, hey, could we take common services and we worked with Cloudflare and we worked with Fastly and we worked with other CDNs and we said, hey, could we zero rate? We're already interconnected and peering. Could we offer that benefit to our users so they weren't penalized? Um, and that just kind of built upon itself. More people wanted to join, uh, especially as so much of the internet these days is what we call east-west traffic. We're no longer sending most of our traffic to eyeball networks like a cable modem provider. We're sending most of our traffic to other cloud providers. And so what we decided to do was could we expand this? So in the past few months, we've worked with a few storage companies, most notably Wasabi, which is a leading um, object storage company that offers kind of think of it as high performance S3 compatible object storage. Um, and this is a, this is a very bespoke industry. Only a few people in the world offer high scale, unlimited usage object storage farms. Yet what we decided to do is say, could we make that a fully integrated experience? Number one, cut the, you know, egress charges between our, our, our respective clouds. And number two, start to work on aligning some of the more thorny business issues. So we went out looking for some examples in the market of successful complex industries that have done this. And we arrived at a few, which I'd love to dive into if, uh, if you're interested in hearing. Oh, yeah. But um, so you, you're talking about uh, APIs, right? So there will be a common API interface to provide uh, um, storage from within packet, for example. But on the other side, we will have something similar from uh, the other parts. And you mentioned Wasabi, for example, okay? So the, exactly. at the end of the month, I, as an end user, I will get a single bill that uh, uh, summarizes the sum of the different services that I buy from different providers, right? Yeah, we, we call it integrated but transparent, right? So the idea here is not that, that we're basically reselling and trying to become an object storage provider, right? The idea here is that we want to make the developer experience and the enterprise um, purchasing process really consistent. And so there is some technical side of that, which is let's meet the developer experience and integrate Wasabi's API into our packet customer-facing API. And what, that, what does that really mean? That means... Let's make sure that you have common authentication. Let's make sure that our API clients and developer integrations kind of quote unquote just work. So can we simplify the life of the developer by providing a best of breed endpoint for object storage within the packet interface? Um, and similarly on the other side, right? There's complexities to that, of course. Um, it's not simple. Um, developers are used to kind of complex uh, API uh, changes and whatnot, but we really wanna make that a first class experience. And the second thing is around business terms, right? You're going to be facing packet. We want to give you a bill so that way you don't have to have two bills and two contracts and two relationships and two GDPR statements and, you know, everything else along the way. But that requires us to form business arrangements. And what that for us, that's kind of the more thorny issue where we're breaking new ground is how can we be consistent in our business arrangements and our policies around, for example, 
customer privacy and our SOC 2 audits and our GDPR compliance. And those are a little bit more thorny and that's what we're working through right now. And that's where we really had to kind of look outside the box and say, well, what other industries have really attacked this issue in a scalable way for services? Um, and uh, the one that we came up with was actually the airline industry. Um, you know, if you take a flight on, say, United, and you're part of Star Alliance, and you're, you land in London, and your flight gets canceled for your connection, they have the ability to book you through a different airline. They have systems that are integrated, that they have terms that comply in a very complex process, but, you know, they can give you that experience even while accessing somebody else's service. And we think that there might be a similar way that could happen within the cloud, which is how could we give packet if it's our customer an end-to-end -end experience even if they're relying upon a delivery model from say an object storage provider like wasabi right and do you see also an expansion of this kind of partnership to competitive services okay so wasabi is why you, you are for the compute part but actually maybe uh, a competing storage system or even different compute providers in the future in this uh, alliance Absolutely. I mean, that's the good thing about an alliance, right, is what we're talking about here is more like the better business bureau of the Internet. <laughs> um, I, I, I live in New York City and I've signed many kind of commercial leases. And if you've never done a commercial lease for an office in New York City, um, well, thank goodness. But anyways, <laughs> um, what it does is use a New York City or a New York State standard lease form. Literally every lease that you do, whether it's from 500 square feet to 50,000, uses the same legal doc document. And then you simply adjust things here and there, right? So this is the model for how we could work, but it's good for all landlords, even competing landlords, because that time spent negotiating and working through and paying lawyers and um, assigning different terms is actually just fat in the system. It's not good for the end user. It doesn't get you faster to what you want to do, which is have office space. I think it's the same thing in the cloud. And we hope that this is really an open, you know, one of Packet's kind of core values is being community driven. I grew up and benefited from a community driven internet. We think that's really important, whether it's through open software, or open standards. And this is very similar is how can we take best of breed cloud platforms or SaaS services and align them because it's going to be good for all of us. Will we have to compete? Of course, on the merits of our service, <laughs> not on the, you know, alignment of our legal documents. That should be, you know, a foundation. Yes, I totally agree with you. So, but uh, let's change uh, the topic a little bit. So the other day I saw on LinkedIn a post where you mentioned a new hardware and some hints about infrastructure composability. Yeah for your uh, infrastructure. Mm -hmm. First of all, let me start from the beginning of the story. So uh, I, you mentioned the Open19 Foundation. Okay, what yes. is it, what it does? Right, Open19 Foundation is a um, community-driven foundation for the advancement of a, a infrastructure solution in the data center hardware world. Um, to put it bluntly, um, Yuval Buchter, who founded it, he built infrastructure at Facebook, he built infrastructure at LinkedIn, and when he went to LinkedIn, he got inspired to create what would be called a subscale hyperscale solution. When you're at something like a Facebook or Amazon and you're buying millions of servers, you have all the benefits in the world. You can literally build your data center around your server. But for every other enterprise or end user or service provider in the world who's not in the top 10, you don't have that benefit. So you have to work along standards. 
and there had been some other projects that had kind of worked to address some of the needs around hardware innovation, but had done so really for that top tier buyer, for really only the largest scale. And what Open19 is doing is creating, I like to call it the ATX case, if you're familiar with PCs mm-hmm. in the 1990s, the ATX case of the rack. Why is it that way? Because if you look back at our history of innovating on PCs, in the 80s, it was kind of just your IBM kind of uh, you know, dominated world. And then suddenly there was some standards around the motherboard size, ATX, micro ATX, you know, et cetera. And what this allowed it to do was allowed anybody to innovate. You had a standard case size and anybody could innovate on a motherboard and it would fit in the case. And you had a whole supply chain around shipping them and using them and cables that would go into them and all kinds of stuff, right? We actually don't have that in the data center. Every single server, even if it fits in a 19-inch rack, is different. And so when you look at a rack solution where you need cables and switches and interconnect and PDUs and everything, it's different everywhere. And so what Open19 is out there to solve is can we create a common infrastructure platform and allow people to innovate on what really matters, which is the computer, not the case, not the rails, not the power cables, right? Those things should be standardized and and open. And so the specifications for everything that's been innovated on in Open19 are, are, are open and, and belong by the foundation. They're not owned by any specific vendor. And they're worked on as a group of us constituents who are either members from a vendor standpoint, an end user standpoint, or an enterprise standpoint. Um, and I'd love to talk through more and more the benefits that you get from it. But basically, it's allowing somebody like Packet to invest heavily in our hardware delivery model and bring those benefits to a wider um, user base beyond ourselves. In fact, uh, in that uh, post, you mentioned a microserver. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was a very, very uh, intriguing uh, uh, piece of hardware, you know, yes. uh, small, small, uh, small servers. Can you go deeper and a little bit on the architecture that you choose for these uh, microservers? Absolutely. Um, one, of the, one of the main goals of Packet is to make it developer friendly to deploy your infrastructure opinion wherever it needs to be. And that might be in my big data center, it might be in somebody else's data center, it might even be in your edge location at your office or your you know, venue or anything else like that. And so what we've been really focused on is how do we give people a delivery model for compute? We've invested in and you know, I'm really proud to be on the board of Open19 because we feel it is an industry standard that we can all get behind. Um, but along with that, what we found is that there's been a real gap in the hardware profile. Computers today, are, if you look at the major vendors, whether that's through big OEMs or ODMs or whatnot, are almost exclusively built around the idea of a hyperscale data center. Big, centralized, power-hungry, dense, VM, lots of cores, lots of RAM, lots of things, lots of customization, very, very, I'm going to call them verticalized, vertical scaling machines. And you know what, what the challenge with this is, is when you go to more distributed locations, you have a very small power footprint, and today's user expects to have many diverse machines. If you look at kind of modern cloud users, they, they don't want one big machine, they want 100 other machines, right? They want to spray their workload around, use a scheduler, have quorum, this is very important, in, whether it's storage or any kind of scale out web application. And what we found is that there's been a need for a small independent microserver, something with a low cost, low power footprint, and, you know, kind of medium to low specs. And so we found that a gap in the marketplace. There's a lot of embedded servers, 
or let me call them embedded solutions where you can get low end things, let's call it a Raspberry Pi style, right? But not in a server form factor or with the management tools that we need to be able to operate. So we worked to basically put four uh, independent microservers. Um, these are built off of an AMD Epic 3000, the embedded version of the um, uh, AMD Epic 7000 series, and uh, four independent boards in a half-width server sled. And what we had to do is do a little work on the NIC, right? Is how could we make the network connectivity um, both uh, low cost and high performant? So taking four independent servers, using um, PCIe to basically bring those all back to a single QSFP net network interface and then channelize that out, the chassis. And what's cool about this is now we get this very, very low cost, high performant, um, it's a four core, four thread, chip running at about 2.4 gigahertz um, but a very independent server with excellent networking and we see that for edge applications that's kind of the biggest drivers people are doing more and more with their network and then they can move back to a big central cloud and use their kind of beefy scale up dual socket machines to do their data crunching or whatnot so we're really excited i think it's going to change definitely our profile we've seen uh, microservers be very popular in our portfolio but this really takes it to a whole new level that, that's great. So you mentioned the uh, CPU network, but you didn't mention uh, anything about uh, the storage. Sure. So how do you provide <laughs> uh, the storage resources to, to these microservers? Yeah, so we're, we're including a small amount of M.2 flash, right? And that's about 120 gigs uh, or 150 gigs of, of local SSD on every node. And then what we're, what we're exploring and working on, I mean, we certainly have disaggregated storage options. The vast majority of our customers today use storage in line and then use something like a cloud service like Wasabi for object. But there's definitely a need for high performance um, storage in a local environment. So most of our work there has actually been around NVMe over fabrics, specifically around the newer advancements in the kernel adoption for NVMe over TCP. Um, so we don't have a product yet, but our kind of product roadmap um, we see a lot of that happening in 2019. I'm sure as a storage junkie, um, you're well aware of all the products that are coming to market um, around NVMe um, over TCP or different fabrics. So yeah. we're really excited about if we have a strong microserver with really good network, we're talking 10, 25 gig with offloading, we're, we're partnered with Netronome. On, on this specific server, but also work with all the other NIC providers. Um, well then, if we have a great network fabric, um, we really have the opportunity over, over standard ethernet to kind of connect NVMe devices. Um, and we're really excited about what that can mean from an economics, utilization, um, and performance standpoint. When this microservice will be available? Well, we're working as hard as we can. The goal would be to have it out in late Q1 or early Q2. Um, in all of our global cloud locations, which is 18 places currently around the world, and our emerging network of edge locations. Um, so, you know, the, the idea would be end of Q1 or early Q2, but, you know, it's hardware, right? So I'm sure something uh, we don't know will go wrong and we'll have to go fix it. So that's the target. Very good. I got a sample on my desk, if that if that helps. <laughs> Send me a picture, maybe. We'll yeah, exactly. In the show notes. It's not pretty, but I've got a sample. <laughs> And maybe you can share a few links about Open19 and, uh, and Packet so our listener can check uh, by themselves the, what Open19 is doing. 
Absolutely, I'd love to. Um, it's a really exciting part of the market. We're working closely with a whole collection of hardware vendors, ODMs like Flextronics, um, OEMs like HP and Supermicro, um, and then the entire infrastructure world, including cabling like Molex. The idea is to remove cost and um, effort from the deployment. The big difference I'd say to your users is that this is the first time with Open19, except using say proprietary blade chassis, where you could deploy your infrastructure's costs at a different time than your compute costs. And what I mean by that is we can build all the infrastructure solutions um, in an Open19 rack, standard rack, you remove the PDUs, you remove the rails, you put in a mechanical shelf, which is basically looks like a cage with little bricks in it, um, there's no active electronics there. And on the back is a blind make connector for a 2,500 gig channelized um, network cable and a um, power cable. The cool thing is you remove the power supplies from the servers. How much does a good, you know, high efficiency power supply cost these days? A couple hundred bucks, right? You have to have one to two of them per server. So right away, we're moving hundreds of dollars from every server by having a efficient, power shelf and not having to put high efficiency power supplies in every server. Number two is we take it so that way you can build all of that infrastructure, full rack, high density solutions, great you know, optical cabling, you know, independent power with full battery backup, all of that for thousands of dollars, right? Without putting any compute in the rack. And that is really cool because then you can pre-build your infrastructure and when you have more capacity needs and you need to add that new compute unit or 10 of them or 50 or 100, you just slotted it. There's no cabling to do. And that's incredible, especially if you're working in remote locations or you have a wide data center footprint where you don't get to drive down to the data center yourself anymore. Um, and what this is doing, I think, is really changing the deployment model for hardware. Yeah, th this could be a solution also for enterprises, but especially if they have remote locations and exactly. uh, edge computing uh, needs. And, and this is what enterprises look like today. The standard large-scale enterprise has dozens of data centers. They're, they're not big, but they have lots of them, right? And so we think that this is incredibly relevant to bring hyperscale economics, shared power, but without going to like a DC bus bar where suddenly you have to hire you know, uh, very special technicians to be able to go near your servers or changing your rack design. This is standard rack, standard infrastructure, but you're basically giving yourself a much more efficient way to deploy hyperscale technology, even if you just have five data centers with five rack seats, you know, one in each of your core corporate campuses or something. So we think it's very, very relevant to enterprises and service providers as well. All right. You are commoditizing the advantages of uh, uh, so Facebook are... and Amazon. Yes. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Taking all that hardware innovation that has been built specifically for a hyperscaler and bringing it down a notch to people who buy 500 to 10,000 servers a year. Amazing. Okay, very good. So um, what is the Open19 um, website link? Yeah, so it's open19.org. You can go there, um, register as an individual um, or end user member for free. Um, you can see Summit presentations, um, a collection of the products from the different vendors who are already supporting and making and shipping um, Open19 compatible infrastructure today. And then it's worthwhile saying that any existing server in terms of a 19-inch standard server, whether it's half-width, full-width, 1U or 2U, can be modified to fit in an Open19 brick. 
Um, we've built it so that the, the, the dimensions are exactly the same um, as your standard kind of 19-inch pizza boxes or 2U4 nodes or anything else like that. So if you're interested, you know, get in touch with your server and manufacturer and see how they can you know, modify or work with one of the uh, manufacturers to modify their solution into uh, an open 19 form factor. Okay, very good. Thank you very much again for your time today, Zach. And uh, where we can stalk you on the internet? Do you have a Twitter account or something like that to continue the conversation? Absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter. I'm ZSmithNYC, um, packet host for my company, uh, and would love to take any questions or ideas or thoughts about what we're doing around microservers, how we think around bare metal compute, and if we can help you adopt Open19 in your own enterprise. Great. Okay, thank you very much and uh, bye-bye. Thanks, Enrico. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices and Data Storage, please check out the other ones. Hyperconvergence and infrastructure composability are the focus of a report Enrico wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how data storage is evolving in the cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies operations, and business strategies.